Hey, thank you for listening in to Risky Benefits, a podcast that informs you on all things benefits. We've got a saying around here, benefits isn't your main business, it's ours. Hey everyone, thank you for listening to Risky Benefits and welcome to this week's episode. Our guest this week is Carol Taylor, the State Legislative Chair for Florida Association of Health Underwriters, also known as FEHU. Before we get started here, let's give an overview of today's entire discussion. First, we'll cover the family glitch and learn more about it. Then, we'll discuss who it impacts, regulatory processes and challenges associated with the proposal, the effect on the employer market and individual markets, to include the proposed timeline associated with the proposal. Let's meet Carol. So, hey, Carol, and thanks for coming on. Um, Why don't we get started with introducing yourself and maybe getting some background on Fehu and what you do for them? So I'm the legislative chair for the Florida Association of Health Underwriters. It is a volunteer role. I have been in this position for five years now. I have been local chapter legislative chairs in the past for a few different chapters, not only for Florida, but also a short stint in Virginia, as well as I serve on the Compliance Corner Committee for the National Association of Health Underwriters, and I've actually been on that committee since uh, July of 2013. Um, So I believe I'm the longest standing committee member um, for that as well. And um, we, in that role, also stay up on top of all of the national items that come up, which this actually falls underneath. Um, The Florida Legislative Chair deals more with Florida um, laws and regulations, where the national of course, deals with all of the national laws and guidance that's released from the different regulatory agencies there. So well-versed on both sides of the federal versus state and looking forward to uh, diving into this topic with you. You mentioned you were up in Virginia for a bit. Is that where you're from or or are you? No, I'm I'm actually a Florida native. Okay. um, And I worked for an agency in Virginia for a few years So I did um, travel up there quite a bit, pretty country up there, especially up off the Blue Ridge and other other spots. So love the mountains, but I'm a Florida girl. (laughs) Well, Florida's happy to to have you here. So um, awesome. Well, Carol, really happy you were able to come on with us today. And I'm actually personally pretty interested in learning more about the family glitch. So why don't we just dive right in and, and maybe you could just help our listeners understand what is it? What is the family glitch? So the family glitch is something that happens due to some provisions within the Affordable Care Act, um, which of course was passed March 23rd of 2010. And of course, we've had well over 100,000 pages of regulations on it. Within the statutory language, it was written in such a way because of Congressional Budget Office scoring, where if an employee and only the employee is offered affordable coverage that meets the requirements under the Affordable Care Act, then none of the family members of that employee would be allowed to access the advanced premium tax credits or the subsidies that are offered on the marketplace. There was one exception basically to the rule on that. And that would be if let's say the spouse um, owned their own business 
and the the taxable income was lower than the adjusted gross or some of the verbology there. Um, if one of those was lower than the other, then um, because of, let's say, a business loss on the part of the spouse's company that they owned, that would then enable them to qualify for the advanced premium tax credits. But what this does is it basically, for those getting coverage through the workplace, um, it made what's known or, or became to be known as the family glitch, where if the employee is offered coverage, those dependents would not be able to get those advanced premium tax credits for the remainder of the family. So it sounds like what you're saying, Carol, is that if an employee out there is getting, they're getting offered health insurance essentially as in association with their job, that the family is no longer, and I say the family because themselves and their spouse, significant, whatever their family situation is, they no longer are available to, to get the tax credit and or subsidies associated with, with care. Correct. And it was written into the statute language that way in order to meet the Congressional Budget Office scoring. Um, so it was purposeful and, and written into the law a specific way for that. So, so in your opinion, Carol, I mean, is this how, it, and I think this may be what you were getting at, is this how it was intended to function in the first place or not really? Yes, it was. It, it was. Okay. And so was it not functioning that way, essentially? People were kind of getting around that? No, um, people were actually not getting around it and complaining about it because, so, you know, a lot of employers, they only provide contributions to the employee only rate. They don't contribute to the dependents, the spouses, um, domestic partners. They only contribute towards the employee only rate. So in effect, what happens is while there's that contribution for the employee, that employee, if they were to cover their spouse, children, or others um, that are eligible for the coverage, then they're paying that full amount. And if only one person in the family is working, you know, that is not affordable for that household underneath some of the other provisions that are contained within the Affordable Care Act. But because of the way that it was written um, into the law, it causes this glitch within it is, is basically how it works. So in essence, it's no longer affordable to the family. Right. Okay. So kind of in summary, it, you know, so you're out there, you're working, uh, you're getting offered health insurance by your employer. They're giving some form of a contribution towards your coverage, but you have a family. And so you have to pay for family coverage. If you go try to buy that coverage on the exchange, you're not getting a tax credit or any support or subsidies towards that because you as an employee are being offered coverage. And thus, it, it's not affordable for you to cover your family. And so this is what we're calling the glitch. Okay, so so why is the Biden administration proposing uh, a rule associated with this? There's been a lot of basically outcry from the citizens. And of course, it makes headlines. 
um, you know, when people are stating that, you know, they're paying large amounts for their coverage. So a lot of it has to do with basically the constituency and the voters basically stating why is this happening when we don't have an affordable offer of coverage. There's a lot of issues that come into play. So employers were given a safe harbor for the employee offer of coverage, which of course does not include any amounts towards those dependents. And because employers cannot ask, well, what does your wife make? They can't know what your household income is, which is some of the items that are asked when somebody applies for coverage on the marketplace. Um, So there's kind of like these two prongs that you have to go down, you know, one or the other or a combination of the both. It it gets really confusing for a lot of people. Um, So a lot of that confusion uh, and which caused you know, quite a bit of outcry on this. So it does affect, you know, a good number of people. So Carol, the the, the rule itself then would be kind of a, a reversal of this glitch. I, am I understanding that correctly? Correct. It would actually remove it where if the employee is offered that affordable coverage, then they would not be eligible for any tax credits on the marketplace. However, the family members if it was not affordable for them, then they would be able to go and get those tax credits on the marketplace. Okay. So in essence, I mean, this is legislation that's going to have to be passed to, or how, how does that work? What is, what is it? This is actually regulatory language or administrative law. Okay. Um, so it, it actually would not go back through Congress. Okay. Um, where we see that there could be some conflicts or possible challenges is that some believe that because of the way that the actual black letter of the law or the statute language was written, that it would take Congress passing something to fix this. Um, However, what they're basically doing is they're reinterpreting what the black letter of the law says that's contained in the statute language that Congress passed originally. Um, And so what they're doing is, is they're using the administrative side or the regulatory agencies to reinterpret the, the rules on it. And this is how they're proposing to fix it. So they, they would in essence say, look, this is what it says. Our interpretation was this. Our current interpretation is is this, or, you know, it it was X, now it's Y. So we need Y to stand. And then, okay. And so they can make that administrative change. And thus, uh, now legally, it's interpreted via Y and no longer X. Right. Interesting. Okay. So, and you said you you think there may be some challenges there. Just could you elaborate just a little bit? Um, so there could be issues that come up budget wise, because this is going to be something that goes up the budget. So there could be CBO scoring that would, um, somewhat halt some of the process because there is a finite cap on the amount of dollars that are used for the subsidies or the tax credits. And if that's reached, then the amounts start getting lowered for everybody or, you know, the people that are making closer to that 400% of federal poverty level, they basically get kicked out of being qualified for any subsidies or tax credits as well. 
Um, so there's a lot of like moving pieces and parts and, you know, it's not so easy. It's kind of like nailing jello to a wall, so to speak, in that because there's so many things that go into all of this that it gets, you know, very quagmire for lack of a better term, and those amounts could end up getting lowered. Now, there is currently a higher amount that's being allowed for the tax credits, um, and that was put in as part of some of the budget items, and, and a lot of that was due to COVID and a lot of the job losses and such. So if they renew that higher level, then this would not become such a problem. However, if that level goes back down to what it was originally at, then this becomes an even larger problem and it would be you know, affecting treasury and other amounts and other laws that are out there. Okay. So just curious, Carol, I mean, as it relates to the employer market, what does this look like in particular for them? So this can cause some issues with employer market, possibly in participation um, rules that are in each and every state. A lot of those, because if the, you know, the rest of the family is on the marketplace and getting those tax credits, that may incent that employee to move over to that policy because most um, insurance policies, of course, have a cap of two or three people meeting their deductible. So if you have a family of, let's say, four, there's mom, dad, two kids, let's say the dad's on the employer policy, well, he has his deductible to meet there. The spouse and the kids, where they would normally maybe only have two deductibles to meet for the family and like kind of that worst case scenario, but now they're looking at mom and two kids and they may have to meet two deductibles. So it may become more prudent, more cost saving for that employee to waive off of the group coverage and go enroll, even though they're not eligible for a tax credit underneath the proposed rules, it can cause problems with meeting participation levels for the group plan. Some carriers also have a dependent participation, and this could cause issues with that. Um, there's a lot of, of factors that go into that. It could also affect other items down the road, particularly with an employer is not contributing to that person, then, you know, where is that money going? You know, if it's to buy other things for the business, great. But if not, then we're, you know, looking at potentially additional tax growth to the treasury. So there's a lot of, again, move, moving pieces and parts in each and every little section of everything. It gets to be a mess. <laughs> yeah. So so talk to us about how this impacts, I guess, the individual market then. we, If we understand, okay, on the employer side, what, what, what might happen? What happens on the individual side? So the individual market could see expanded enrollment. It could help drive down the cost of individual plans, in which case it's driving up the cost of employer plans, potentially. It, it, it's one of those things where there's a lot of unknowns. So we're not 100% sure how it's going to affect because, of course, you know, insurance premium rates are largely driven by the claims dollars that are paid out. So with 80 to 80 or 85% of the claims being or the premium dollars being paid out, 
that's going towards medical care if somebody that's say that's on the group market and then they flip over to the individual then that could cause higher rates there it, it it's it's a thing of who's migrating or who's not i was gonna say it seems like adverse selection will happen the question is which direction is it gonna go correct exactly <laughs> so and for those listening i mean in the industry we talk about adverse selection and uh, so I know Carol obviously knows what I'm talking about when I say that. But for those of you listening, if if you're not savvy with that term, it, what we're saying is is the sickest people generally will seek to get coverage. And so the question then becomes, if you're on the employer plan and it's more advantageous for you to leave the employer plan and go to an individual plan and you're sick and you know you're going to use the coverage more, well, then you'd be inclined to shift. And so the question then becomes holistically across, you know, the country, does, is that consistent? And if it is, what you're going to have is a lot of sicker people moving to, say, individual plans. You'll see the individual rates start to go up because they'll have higher claim levels. Or you'll see that conversely in the other direction, uh, individuals leaving individual plans, shifting towards the employer plans. And so it'd be very interesting to see, I guess, how that plays out. Um, uh, it's definitely a mathematical equation and one that, that needs to be considered before they, you know, make any changes, I guess. Yeah, it's very complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Um, okay. So, so what's the timeline for this, Carol? I mean, what are we looking at? So the proposed rules have comments coming back in June, um, of which the National Association of Health Underwriters is actually working on, um, submitting comments, um, we do um, at that level have multiple working groups that will that are reviewing the proposed regulations and we get on conference calls sometimes several conference calls and we go through and basically talk about each section and submit those comments and that all gets written up and into a document that's then sent into of the Department of Health and Human Services, which is who is releasing this proposed guidance. From there, then they are looking at doing a public um, hearing on it. Um, of course, if people are not going to be doing so live, they may not do it, but they would then go in and review that, and then they would need to publish final regulations prior to the end of the year because they want to have it effective January 1 of 2023. Okay. But we have to look at, we kind of have to step back from that because open enrollment for the individual market is prior to that. Right. What is What so are we talking, like October? October, November, and even and December, December yeah. depending. So the insurance carriers, of course, are working on their rates right now because right. they have to file their rates next month. Not for a change day. that's not, that's pending, say, after the fact. Right. So we're not sure if this is going to be put in place or not. So the insurance carriers are having to make wild guesses on, you know, how well, do we, you so know, Carol, crystal ball. <laughs> th th this kick starts just, just for any of you listening, this kick starts which direction the adverse selection goes, because if you're, if you're a carrier, you're going to estimate in your favor. I mean, you're not, you, you, you can't afford to lose your shorts over, say, yeah. uh, you know, not having the rates high enough, knowing that this change could happen. So let's say you assume the change is going to happen. You, you increase your rates to cover that. 
uh, based on that assumption. And now people are looking at those rates thinking, wait, what was my employer plan cost again? So yeah, in, very interesting. The timing, the sequence of events is a little off, right? To do this right. right. And of course, you know, not, not to kind of tie in politics, but it is also something that we need to be cognizant of is it's an election year, it's midterm. Yeah. Um, so we do have an election coming up for the House of Representatives and a third of the senators at the federal level. So all of them are looking to be campaigning. And, um, you know, this would definitely be something that a number of people would be looking for in that they'd be getting, you know, assistance for their medical premiums. And of course, you know, that time frame of the final regs would need to be coming out right around the same time that a lot of the primaries are happening. And of course, the general election being in November, right before a lot of the individual marketplace open enrollment period starts. So, you know, of course, that would be a big drawing point for campaigns to be, hey, we helped push this along or, you know, we don't think this is a great idea. Um, so there's always that political nature of anything coming out law or regulatory wise, especially something this large. I, I mean, it sounds super loaded. I'm not going to lie. I, mainly because I, you know, I get the dilemma. I get the challenge. You're kind of, you're, it's a balloon, right? Like you squeeze it. It's got, there's only so much air in the balloon. It's got to go one direction or the other. Right or the other. Or, I mean. Where you ask for more money, right? You, you increase taxes. I mean, uh, but outside of that, like somebody's going to have to pay for it. Um, and right. so fundamentally, it sounds like they're trying to figure out, okay, how, well, A, how are we going to pay for this? How are we going to make the changes? Um, B, the carriers are already in the process of creating their rates for this upcoming enrollment season, but the decision may not be effective until after this upcoming enrollment season. So, I mean, it, it really sounds like an unhealthy timeline to try to resolve the issue, but uh, you know, like they've got those people out there and that's, that's what they're getting after right now, trying to figure out. So um, yeah. Wow. Carol, that is kind of a bombshell really to think through. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a lot of moving pieces and parts. There are potential delays we do anticipate that there's likely going to be some asks within the proposed comments to push it out a year because of the timeline. It's so tight, you know, for anybody that follows the regulatory process, um, you know, when they say, oh, we'll get regulations out soon, it could be two minutes later. It could be two years later. There's actually some of the different laws out there where we've been operating on proposed regulations for over a decade. There's different uh, guidance within different phases. You know, for something this large to be done this quickly is likely not going to be rolled out very well. Um, we also have the issue of, you know, there's going to have to be this dual look at whether or not the employee is eligible for a tax credit or not, whether or not the family is eligible for a tax credit or not. And all of that would have to be done um, through the marketplace. So they're going to have to do a lot of system changes. And if any of you know the listeners have been around and remember back in um, 2014 or 2013, actually the end of 2013, 
when the marketplaces were rolled out, how long of a hold many of them had trying to call in. And if they could even get somebody, their computer systems were having issues. Well, this is all going to take programming to, you know, look at all of these new avenues of enrollment. And is that going to cause even larger problems there? We still, to this day, hear people stating that when they call to get, you know, an answer, they may get a very, very wrong answer. And the answer, uh, you know, when this has been posed to the heads of those agencies um, or the regulatory agencies, the answer response from them has always been hang up the phone, call back and hope you get a different representative that knows what they're talking about. That's um, yeah, that's <laughs> concerning for sure. Yes. Well, Carol, so I think what I mean, wow, I think we understand what the glitch is at this point and kind of what needs to be done. Uh, definitely going to be holding my breath a bit to see how they how they figure this out. It would make sense. It would seem if they would punt, uh, meaning create the, the ruling now, come up with all of that, um, let the carriers get through this year and then implement it for a 2024. But uh, And I get that people are going to be a bit frustrated, but the reality is, is I mean, if they want it done right, they, then there's kind of only one way to do it right and figure out how to do it so that the carriers can actually pay for it. I guess the, you know, the, the fear would be that I guess more carriers may bail out and say, Hey, we, we can't do this. If this is going to be the requirement, we don't feel like we have what we need. So there's all kinds of unintended consequences that could play out. So what else, is there anything else you'd like for our listeners to know? You know, I think one of the items that being in the industry for so long and, and knowing and going out and doing open enrollments with group clients, you know, a lot of people, when they're asked the question, when they call into the marketplace and they're asked the question of, you know, is your offer of coverage affordable? A lot of them state no, because they're looking at it from a, well, this amount's coming out of my checkbook. I really can't afford that. They're not looking at it from the technical aspect and that can actually come back and bite some people later. And this is going to make that process even more so complicated. People just need to understand that there's so many rules in this that they need to be asking more questions because, you know, when you're dealing with the tax credits, that's an IRS function. And getting into an audit situation with the IRS, this is going to make this even more sticky potentially more devastating, especially if they find out that there is an offer of affordable coverage and you've not been telling the truth and getting these tax credits, it basically, that snowball just gets larger and larger as it rolls downhill. Also, affordability is also something that is applicable to the small group market, but there's no reporting of small groups to the government that that's offered. So this could end up getting to be a larger reporting issue um, for even small groups because they may need that may expand to them. And it's something where a bill has been proposed for the last several sessions of Congress to have prospective reporting versus retrospective reporting on the part of those applicable large employers or those larger groups, the 50 plus groups, where right now everything's done after the fact, it would be so much smoother if something were done prior to that 
And of course, the government would have to, you know, update all of their systems to account for some type of that prospective reporting that would actually make a lot of this smoother. So that might be something where if they did that, it would make this so much easier. Again, lots of moving pieces and parts, but it's all complicated no matter how you look at it. Yeah. Well, Carol, thank you very much. Uh, Certainly appreciate getting the update. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who've been feeling this and they didn't know it was called the glitch, but they knew that they were struggling. And um, there were many maybe who knew of the glitch. Uh, Either way, if you didn't, you do now. And so thank you, Carol, for coming on today. And thanks for the update. And uh, if anyone has any questions following up to this or, or, or would like to reach out and contact us, please look for our information on our homepage at www.fbmc.com. And remember, you can find us and subscribe on any podcast app. Thank you for listening to Risky Benefits. If you're interested in learning more, please visit www.fbmc.com. We hope you'll join us next time on Risky Benefits.